Welcome to Onco Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I'm an associate professor of pharmacy practice here at the Bill Gatt College of Pharmacy, the supporting sponsor of this Oncology Pharmacy podcast. Uh, one of the great things about having a podcast is the things that you say on here live on forever. And uh, a couple weeks or months ago, I talked about uh, very, very briefly, in fact, I kind of minimized it, uh, the FDA approval for linvatinib as a first-line agent for hepatocellular carcinoma. At the time, I said something like, well, this is based off of a phase three non-inferiority study. A lot of these patients uh, with hepatocellular carcinoma have such poor hepatic function, they're not candidates for drug therapy anyway. You don't see, I don't see it in clinical practice. And that was kind of my rationale for not talking about it. Uh, and this week, I was asked to weigh in from one of our physicians on this very scenario, which drug to use. So I thought that made, uh, since I have, was going to go back and look at it, and this is my podcast, I'm just going to go through kind of the decision-making process and review of this study. So we're talking about first-line treatment of hepatocellular carcinoma with either linvatinib or serafinib. So this approval for linvatinib came on August 6, 2018. So many months ago, uh, and this is based off the REFLECT study, which was published in Lancet, uh, the journal Lancet, uh, February 9th, 2018. And about 1,000 patients were randomized one-to-one to either linvatinib or serafinib. Now, the serafinib, as the comparator, comes from the SHARP study uh, published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2008. And that was a phase three study of about 600 patients randomized to either serafinib or placebo with advanced hepatocellular carcinoma. At that time, there was, uh, to my knowledge or recollection, there was nothing to prove for treating this as why it was compared to placebo. Uh, the notable inclusion criteria for the SHARP study of serafinib versus placebo included a platelet count of at least 60, a Billy less than 3 child PUA uh, uh, liver score. Uh, the median overall survival with serafinib was improved at 10.7 months compared to 7.9 months, a statistically significant value. So almost a three-month improvement in median overall survival. Uh, the overall response rate was basically zero. It was like two out of 300. Uh, had a, Two patients had a partial response. So not a lot of disease activity, really a, a, a classic example of a tyrosine kinase inhibitor playing defense and slowing the progression of the disease, allowing patients to live a little bit longer. Uh, so that dose of serafinib was 400 uh, PO twice a day, and that was compared in Reflect to linvatinib, one of two dosing schemes, and the dosing is weight-based. So patients 60 kilos, kilograms or more get 12 milligrams or 8 milligrams if you're less than 60 kilograms. One of the few uh, oral tyrosine kinase inhibitors uh, where the dosing is weight-based. Uh, so there are 477, basically, in each group, plus or minus one. And we do see... Um, oh, before we get to that, let's talk about uh, the, the setup of the REFLECT study. So this is a phase three non-inferiority study with the non-inferiority margin set at 1.08. We'll come back to what that means, that non-inferiority margin of 1.08. Patients had to have a Billy less than three, Platelets of at least 75, so a slightly higher platelet threshold for Reflect compared to uh, compared to Sharp. 99% uh, of them were child PUA. There were a few child PUB folks in here. Now, two-thirds of these patients were of Asian Pacific uh, nationality or uh, where they lived, versus one-third Western, whereas the Sharp study was largely European-based, like 88% were European or Australian. Um, uh, as it looks like in, in that paper. Uh, so, so this study more heavily represented uh, 
Asians versus uh, this study more Western. So the median overall survival was 13.6 months compared to 12.3 months, and that hazard ratio, uh, so numerically favors lenvatinib, but that hazard ratio is 0.92 with the confidence, 95% confidence, we're going from 0.79 to 1.06. If it had gone up to 1.08, it would not have met the non-inferiority margin. That's what that non-inferiority mean, margin means. So what we know is that uh, from this lenvatinib is non-inferior to serafinib. So we know that serafinib is not better basically than lenvatinib. Doesn't mean that they're equal, but that lenvatinib is non-inferior uh, up to that 8% uh, non-inferiority margin. When we look at progression-free survival, we do see a difference in progression-free survival favoring lenvatinib. 7.4 months compared to 3.7 months with serafinib. Uh, has a ratio of 0.66 with a 95% confidence rate of 0.57 to 0.77 with a p-value 300001. So what, what do we make of this as we quickly went through uh, Reflect? So lenvatinib is non-inferior to serafinib, so basically both now would be considered options. So who do we use this in? Uh, well, let's look at some of the tolerability data before we look at that. So the number of patients or percentage of patients who had a drug interruption, so who had to stop the drug for a period of time, was 40% with lenvatinib compared to 32% with serafinib. 37% and 38% respectively had to have a dose reduction. Those numbers are pretty similar. 9% of patients on lenvatinib stopped the drug compared to 7% on serafinib. So those numbers are similar, um, maybe slightly favoring serafinib just because there were fewer dose interruptions, 32 versus 40%. But as far as who could tolerate the drug, looked pretty similar. That's borne out by the percentage of patients or the, uh, the average dose intensity, which was 88% with lenvatinib and 83% with serafinib. So patients, you know, many of them or so many of them had to have a dose decrease, but overall patients could tolerate this pretty well, uh, at least in uh, a tightly regulated phase three randomized controlled clinical trial. Uh, we look more at the toxicities. Hand-foot syndrome or, or palmer plantar erythrodysthesia was much more common in serafinib, 52% versus 27%, so twice as likely basically to have hand-foot syndrome in the serafinib group. 11% of those cases uh, were grade 3 or 4. Diarrhea, much more common in serafinib, 46 versus 39%. And this is, actually shows out in the quality of life analysis they did in the study that diarrhea negatively infected quality of life disproportionately in the patients on serafinib. Alopecia, 25% of patients on serafinib had some form of alopecia compared to just 3% uh, with lenvatinib. And when you think of serafinib, think of the RAF in the middle as a RAF inhibitor. RAF inhibitors or drugs that inhibit RAF kinases are gonna have some dermatologic toxicity, hand foot syndrome, alopecia. Um, when we think of lenvatinib, and again, these are multi-kinase inhibitors, but serafinib has more RAF inhibition uh, lenvatinib has more VEGF inhibition, which is why we see more proteinuria with lenvatinib, 25% versus 11%. Uh, more hypertension, 42% with lenvatinib versus 30% with serafinib. 23% uh, of those patients in lenvatinib had a grade 3 or higher uh, increase in blood pressure, which is a systolic above 160 or diastolic above 100, or needing one or more medication interventions. So increasing a dose of a drug, maybe adding a, a second drug would qualify that. Uh, dysphonia, 24% with lenvatinib compared to 12% with serapinib. We had talked about dysphonia with the Pembro plus axitinib as an axitinib-specific toxicity. Uh, thrombocytopenia, 
Um, more common with lenvatinib, 18% versus 12%. Uh, grade three thrombocytopenia, which would be a plug count less than 50, was 5% versus 3%. I bring that up as a notable uh, difference here with lenvatinib causing more thrombocytopenia because the baseline platelet count for these studies was 60 or 75. Oftentimes, these patients with hepatocellular carcinoma have some baseline liver dysfunction. The liver is where thrombopoietin is made. Uh, it's akin to erythropoietin to the kidney uh, as to the liver. Uh, so they often will have some baseline thrombocytopenia as a result of their liver disease, plus or minus some splenomegaly from some hepatomegaly. So it's not uncommon for patients to have thrombocytopenia that might limit the use of these drugs. And if that's the case, looks like serafinib is going to cause less uh, of a hurt or less of a hit to the platelet count compared to lenvatinib. Uh, hypothyroidism, more common with lenvatinib, 11% versus 2%. So overall, if you look at the quality of life endpoints, you do see uh, some favor in quality of life with regards to um, diarrhea, with regards to body image, which probably has something to do with hand-foot syndrome and alopecia. All those favor lenvatinib. Now, so from a... from the, the stuff that's easy to measure, I guess, in quality of life. Oh, pain as well. Uh, pain's impact on quality of life also strongly favored lenvatinib compared to serafinib. Uh, so from a quality of life standpoint, patients tended to have a better, I won't say better quality of life, but they had a longer time to deterioration of quality of life with lenvatinib compared to serafinib. Uh, so maybe that would be a, uh, an endpoint that would sway you towards using lenvatinib over serafinib in the first line setting for HCC. Patients with baseline hypertension or patients with baseline nephropathy, and you're worried about uh, not having much margin for their blood pressure to go up or much margin to have any more proteinuria, you might favor serafinib, which had a much less toxic profile with regards to hypertension and proteinuria compared to lenvatinib. Uh, with platelets, if they had baseline thrombocytopenia, you might be more inclined to use serafinib than lenvatinib. Uh, and then again, if you had somebody who was uh, Asian or, or Pacific Islander, you might favor lenvatinib because it's been studied more in that patient population than in uh, a Western patient population. There is a subgroup for uh, forest plot uh, looking at the difference between Westerners versus Asian Pacific. Uh, numerically, the overall survival was higher with serafinib uh, in the Western population, but the PFS was lower with serafinib, and neither of those were statistically significant, so you probably can't take much from that. But, uh, you know, I minimized this drug when it came out, um, or when it, not when it came out, lenvatinib's also approved for uh, uh, thyroid cancer, that uh, well-differentiated thyroid cancer that is refractory to, uh, to iodine therapy, and uh, I believe renal cell carcinoma with everolimus, which that sounds like a really toxic combination to me. Um, but I didn't want to minimize this, and since it came up and I was going through it, thought some of you may uh, be going through this at some time in the future and wanted to share my thoughts with you. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate those of you who've gone on to the iTunes store uh, and given us a five-star uh, rating and given us a nice review. You can follow me uh, on Twitter at FarmDeetNib. You can follow the podcast at OncoFarmPod, and you can find me on Instagram at OncoFarmPod as well. Uh, so once again, thanks for listening, and until I see you and talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Mm-hmm.